Well, welcome back to the Lamp Post Listener. My name is Daniel. I'm Phil. And this is a podcast where we journey chapter by chapter through C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. This is chapter two of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. On board the Dawn Treader. I said that kind of weird, didn't I? Yeah. That's I feel, fine. I feel like it would it have in. to be, this is chapter two of the Dawn Treader. On board the Dawn Treader. Yeah. You know, but in we're general, not on board the Dawn Treader. <laughs> And general, I'm a little nervous for this episode because to give listeners a little peek behind the curtain, about five minutes ago, we sat down. I was like, all right, so we're doing chapter two. And you're like, I thought we were doing chapter three. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking ahead of the game. <laughs> you thought we'd already recorded this chapter. Yep. So, so maybe really in another life we to did, see what this will be like. <laughs> no. You're prepared, though. So prepared. Yes, correct. You yes. still read chapter I two. I even have the chapter summary ready to go. You want to jump? Well, let's let's remind. Let's talk about. Where were we last time? Yeah, I need to remind you because you thought we'd already done chapter right. two. <laughs> Um, well, in the last episode, Edmund, Lucy, and Eustace were transported to Narnia through a picture. They were, uh, then they, they were transported into the sea and then Caspian and a group of sailors picked them up out of the sea. And we learned that uh, Caspian is three years older and sailing, uh, away from Narnia. And that's where we left off. That's right. So you want to do the chapter summary now? I do. Go for it. Lucy and Edmund catch up with Caspian who informs him that it has been three years since they were all last in Narnia. Things are going very well there. So well, in fact, that Caspian and his crew are sailing east to learn the fate of the seven friends sent out by King Miraz. Reepicheep intends to go even further in the hopes of finding Aslan's country. Lucy uses her cordial to ease Eustace's seasickness, and moments later they begin a tour of the Dawn Treader, which is small but very beautiful. Eustace, who has been complaining the entire time aboard, gets himself into trouble when he grabs Reepicheep by the tail and swings him around. Reepicheep coolly draws his sword and swiftly corrects him with several sharp jabs of his sword. Challenged to a duel and realizing the seriousness of the situation, Eustace apologizes and returns to his bed. All right, very nice. This was a long chapter. It was a long chapter, a lot of good exposition. But not a ton of action until that that very until last that part. that little mouse fight at yeah. the end. A little mouse fight. So, <laughs> what are what's your biggest takeaway? From, or did you, was that it right there? That it's just a lot of exposition. I feel like it's a lot of exposition, but we also were introduced. We have two characters: one that we like a lot, and one that we really don't like a lot. And they have a conflict, and the dynamic changes a little bit. I think Eustace is being in control, and kind of people let him go to a certain point, but Reepicheep just won't have it. And I, I'm looking forward to see where that goes. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting. This is a really interesting chapter. I think it might be my least favorite chapter in a very, very good book. So I don't mean it mm. as in I dislike the chapter, but one of the things I love so much about Don Treader is the sense of adventure. And we don't really get that here. Instead, Lewis is, is mostly laying the foundation for the rest of the story. Yeah, which is important. Oh, no, it's super important. It's it's definitely a good chapter, but it's it's not what I, I, I when I think of Don Treader, I don't think of, oh yeah, I remember that time when they just talk a lot on the ship. Yeah. But it's still really good. I still really enjoy it. We get introduced to Drenian, who is one of my favorite characters in this book. I really like his no-nonsense approach. We haven't really had a character like him before. I I enjoy the character moments from Eustace who I just think steals the show here. And again, he, in my opinion, in this chapter, Lewis is doing two main things. He's laying the, pl- uh, the foundation for the plot because this is a story that's going to be very episodic. 
each chapter or two is going to kind of tell its own little smaller story. And so Lewis is going to lay down that foundation that we can, we can kind of have as our anchor as we're going to these different places throughout the book. Right. And then secondly, we have what I think is really just a, a character, not study, that's a little too dramatic, but a really big focus on Eustace and his personality and how he's feeling about this. We don't hear a ton, you know, about how Edmund feels about this and Lucy. We hear a little bit, but the main focus is is Eustace. He's the one that kind of shows up in every little scene, either at the end of it or it is the main focus. We literally actually get a, his own diary, which we've never right. had before That's in this cool. chapter. And to me, he is kind of the character we attach to. And before we even jump in, I want to talk about this a little bit because this is now the third book in this series. And in the first book, in the second book, we didn't necessarily have one main character, right? It was a, it was a I mean, would you group. agree? It was kind of a cat. It was a cast of characters, but I, I really feel like Don Treader is really used. This as the star of it. And not that Edmund and Lucy don't play a big role, but it so much is from Eustace's point of view. And, yes. and we're really learning about him and, hearing so much about how he feels about things, right? Yeah. I mean, would you say that there was a main character for those first two books? No, I, I feel like the the group of kids was the main character mm-hmm. altogether. Hey. And what I'm excited about for this one is I think that Eustace is kind of playing the role of Edmund, where he comes mm-hmm. in with a sucky attitude, and now we need to... Narnia is going to hopefully alter that attitude. Yeah. Another interesting thing that I... This is for me remembering in the past. I haven't felt it as much in this chapter yet, but it does feel like, where do we go with Edmund at this point? Because mm. we had the first book where his character development is an integral part of the plot. And then the second book is really his redemption, because the redemption belongs to Aslan in the first book. The second book, we actually see Edmund reclaim some of that. And so now it's more of, what is the role that Edmund's going to play? And I think we'll talk about that as we go through, but even coming back into it now, having not read it in in the past year, I'm like, yeah, what, what is the story that is being told by Edmund and Lucy uh, as well? What, what is their story? I know exactly what I'm looking for for, with Caspian, which is I want to see what it's like with him as the King. I haven't seen that yet. I'm excited to see what it's like with him as the leader. I want to see what happens to Eustace, who, who seems so, uh, unpleasant in this environment but what what's the story here for Edmund and Lucy why are they allowed back but not Peter and Susan Aslan must believe there's a story to be told here some development to be had but what is it I don't I don't know I would imagine they're in place to help another character Mm -hmm. get to where they need to be sure all right do you want to go ahead and dive into our, our read through here yes so the chapter begins with uh, Lucy coming back on deck and Caspian introducing her to the Lord Drinian. He is the captain of the ship. With some manners. He has some very nice manners. And I don't know about you, every time I read this book, I get to this chapter and I'm always like, oh yeah, Caspian isn't the captain. I always just assume that Caspian's the king. He must be the captain of the ship. And it's such an interesting dynamic to have Caspian and Drinian who share power and it's different Caspian is the king but he's not necessarily in charge of everything on the ship and the way that these two interact they're both just really humble men and I love I think they set a great example for us as readers even Caspian's humility to be king and we'll get to this in a minute but take one of the worst places on the ship to sleep yeah that's very and encourage others to do it as well Mm -hmm. 
So we find out uh, as they're meeting Drinian that Eustace is in bed and he doesn't want to do anything. He's really in a, in a terrible mood. And that's when, uh, while he's sleeping, the rest of our characters get together and we get the very long uh, exposition of kind of what's been going on. Caspian is quite offended that Esmond would ask if all is going well. And I love that. Caspian's like, are you serious? I would not have left if things were going well. Yeah, which I don't. I think it's still a fair question. Yeah, I, yeah. that's what I thought. I was like, so oh, maybe you left because things went really, really poorly. Also, it could be Edmund just be like, hey, how are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Caspian gets really defensive. There's like, no, it's it's great. Why are you asking? It makes me wonder if secretly things are terrible back yeah. at Narnia and that's why he left. Maybe <laughs> maybe like, there's something we're going to find out. Yeah. Edmund's like, hey, how are things going? He's like, it's great. Everything's perfect at home. Don't worry about anything. Yep. Don't, don't ask. <laughs> we didn't get kicked out of Narnia. That's not why we're on this ship. <laughs> um, and actually, I'm joking, but you don't know necessarily what actually is going back I don't. on at Narnia because you haven't read these books. Uh, there's, he said, there's no trouble at all now between the Telmarines, the dwarves, the talking beasts, the fawns, and all the rest. And they've left Trumpkin as the regent in charge. And I don't know about you, but, and we're, we're talking that we actually talked about this back in the Dancing Lawn podcast for September, but I want to see the series of Trumpkin the Dwarf in a, in a Netflix series. I want to see what that's the like house of cards take of him trying to rule this kingdom. <laughs> you don't want that. You know, I, I'm not as uh, vulgar necessarily, but I, I do want the West Wing. How about that instead? There the, go. the PG version yeah. of Trumpkin running. And you want it to be made in the 90s. Only like one season was in the 90s of the West Wing, right? Most really? of it was early 2000s. Yeah, okay. yeah, I think season one was 99. No one cares. Let's move on. <laughs> um, I love the little details here, like loyal as a badger, ma'am, and valiant as as a mouse. <laughs> you can just, and the way that Lewis writes that is so well done, because you can just perfectly picture Drinian just being like, as a mouse, mouse. kind yeah. of like side, you know, having Reaper Sheep glare at him from the side. And he just like kind of looks, and then he's satisfied and turns but back away. Do you think Reap would have really been that offended? Because Aslan's a lion, he wouldn't be like... It's not that that isn't true. I think he's just a good captain, and he's looking for an opportunity to oh yeah to show that he is pro mouse. Okay, yeah. yeah. And as this conversation continues, we hear why they are on this trip. So you want to go ahead and tell us why they're on the trip? Yeah. So they do a good job of connecting it to Prince Caspian before the book Prince Caspian. <laughs> have you <laughs> yes, heard of it? Correct. I have <laughs> heard of it. <laughs> uh, just to clarify, they're not connecting it to the character and. When, There's King Caspian now. Right. When the when Caspian was a young boy, all the um, friends of Miraz were sent away to well, different lands. The friends of his father, right? It was the enemies of Miraz. Sorry. Yeah, the, the friends right. of yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. the original King Caspian. Mm-hmm. They were sent to kind of to the edge of the world, it sounded like, just like on a journey that they're not supposed to come back from. And so now uh, Prince Caspian, who's become King Caspian, is now searching for them. Yeah, and I love C.S. Lewis does some great world building here because I love the names of the seven lords. I just, even the name like like the seven lords just sound that's like great fantasy right there. Yep. Like, yes, that sounds seven's cool. a great number. Also, he can't remember one of the names. <laughs> it's so funny. It's such a good detail because whenever they're like, oh yeah, so and so, so they just start rattling him off. I'm like, man, you don't. There's no way you remember all this. Yeah, and let's. Do you want to go ahead? Let's let's read through them real quick. And I've been. I think I mentioned this in the last episode. I've been listening to the audiobook as we also um, study each chapter. And so I think I've gotten all the names right. We're not going to have a Sepespian situation again, where we call okay. him the wrong name for like three episodes. 
Um, although, who knows, maybe I'll still get it wrong. So we have... Let's hear them. These are their names. The Lord Revillian, the Lord Burn, the Lord Argos, the Lord Mavramorn, the Lord Octasian, the Lord Restamar, and the one that he forgets is the Lord Roop. And then Caspian goes, Roop, Roop, of course. <laughs> but I can't help but reading it. Roop, Roop, <laughs> of course. Which, uh, Phil, I think what we really need to do is stay here for a while and rank all of these. No, I'm just kidding. We won't do that. <laughs> which, which one of these names is the best, though? Revillian. Interesting. Or Mavramorn. Ooh, that's tough. Yeah, I think Mavramorn. Mavramorn is probably my favorite. Which one's the worst? Burn. Yeah, the, or Argos. Oh, I think Argos sounds cool. I think Roop is like the Lord Roop. It just the, it doesn't match the other. The double O sounds just, I don't know too soft. I, I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't sound like yeah, the Lord Roop. Right. Um, I don't know. Not not my favorite one, but uh, these are some great names. I love. I love this. Good for C.S. Lewis here. Agreed. So they all were sent away by uh, Miraz, uh, the usurper, <laughs> which I'll never not find that word to be incredibly fun to say. It's a great word. I also so they, like segue. Yes. And to segue us into the next section. Uh, so he, they were all sent away by Miraz and Caspian is going to search for them. They all went east. If we all can picture the Narnia map in our heads, they're sailing east away from the, uh, from Narnia and Caspian's even honest. They don't even know if they're all still around. He's at least, he says, we're going to either find them alive or we'll avenge their deaths. And, so that I mean that gets me excited. Does that get you excited when you hear that? Yeah, it sounds like we're we're guaranteed an adventure, mm-hmm. or I guess they could die, but I doubt it because then how are they going to write the book? <laughs> um, do you think Narnia is flat? Do I think Narnia? Do you think is the world flat? of Narnia? The is world flat? of Narnia is flat. I can't answer that question. Okay, that's all I can say. Okay. That tells me everything I need. To know. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll 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 talk more as this book goes on. Um, <laughs> so now it's like awkward because it feels like wait, what? It's that's one of the the <laughs> most. Have you ever listened to a podcast with silence? I have it? listened to a podcast before. No, with silence. D- like just a silent podcast. Yeah. Daniel actually has an app that removes every split second of silence. Well, from I, his I listen podcast. to a lot of podcasts. I don't want to no, waste my time listening saved to him people. Seventeen days of silence. I, it has saved me quite a lot of time. It's uh, if for anyone that cares, it is the um, Pocket Cast app that turns your silence. First one's free, Pocket Cast. <laughs> yeah, they, they, thank you. They really need our money. So let's read uh, uh, some of Reaper Cheap's poetry. Yeah. So let's. Well, actually, before you get to that, Phil, Mike, I just want to make the comment that I love that this is not a story. After we've had two stories of kind of these these English kids coming in and saving Narnia. That that is not the foundation for the story. Instead, it is very much a we're going searching for something. It reminds me of the kind of the Hobbit or you know just other kind of fantasy stories where the they're going in search of something, right? They're going to look for something on the long journey. And I just am really excited to. I, I just think that's a, a tried and true method of storytelling that I get really excited about. Yeah. So uh, be a poet for us. What, what's going on here? So this is something that Reepicheep heard growing up. A dryad spoke this verse over him. Where sky and water meet, where the waves grow sweet. Doubt not, Reepicheep, to find all you seek. There is the utter east. And what's the, what's the context for this, right? It's this is kind of his um, searching for the man who killed his father type situation, mm-hmm. like Inigo Montoya. 
It's his quest. He's always wanted to go east, and yeah. now he's now he's able to. He says, I do not know what it means, but the spell of it has been on me all my life. This is his goal. So now we know what Reepicheep wants, and we're curious to see what will happen. Yes. And like, if he'll get it. So the rest of the crew of the Dawn Treader are with Caspian. They're going searching for this, but, but Reepicheep has his this kind of other reason to be with them as well, which is that he's always had this thing in the back of his head. to, to He's in search of something to the other east. And it's actually just the grammar here is important, I think. Because in this uh, po- this poem here, the word east is capitalized. And so usually, you know, we don't capitalize uh, directions like northeast, south, and west. But it's capitalized as in, it's not just, oh, you need to go east. You need It's instead, this is a proper noun of a place. Like, you, mm, it east. is the east, as in a place, not just a direction. And so I'm excited for us to unpack this. We're going to talk as the season goes on when we get there, because I don't want to spoil you, Phil. We're going to talk about why why East? Why was that chosen? Or is there no reason? It was just there's four directions, and this is the one Lewis picked. I think the more we've studied Lewis, the less likely we are to believe that. So after Reepicheep recites his poetry, we learn a little bit more about where they are on their journey. And I do love that we're, the, the Pevensies and Eusis are literally just dropped right in in the middle of this journey. And... Earlier, I was thinking through this as we were reading, and you and I were talking, and we were a little confused about where they are along this journey, as we often have been with any kind of maps with Narnia. Mm-hmm. And I am very happy to say, and I'll, I'll post both of these for listeners, there are two maps, and I think both are done by Pauline Baines. Sweet. And they literally have lines showing you where they are. Uh, one is just this first part of the book, and it literally says at one point, about here they joined the ship. So I know exactly where it is. Awesome. And then there's another one, which you can't see yet. I'm not allowed to see these maps, am I? Well, the first one, I don't think, is a spoiler, because it just shows them between can the turn, seven... Can you turn the magic screen on? <laughs> yeah, it just shows them between the seven isles. That's a good map. And Yeah, and the Lone Islands. And it shows you exactly where they come on board. And then there's another map, which you can't see yet, that's on uh, just at the Narnia.com website. So this is an official map that shows the whole journey from all the places they go. And if listeners can't tell, I'm very excited because I've want, this is all I've ever asked for, is to have an idea where I am in the story. <laughs> and this is perfect. It literally shows you exactly where we are. And all I, all I would ask is that we had these for all the books moving forward. Mm, we don't? I, I don't? I don't think so. But yeah, that's really cool to have an idea of where they are. And again, it's so cool that Lewis has just dropped us right into the middle of this story. I think it's more exciting than if they showed up on the dock as the Dawn Treader's leaving. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of being dropped in, especially if you're using characters that you've used before. Yeah. You don't need... I love a good origin story, but it, we've seen Spider-Man 1 so many times. Like so many different versions of mm-hmm. like an origin story. Sure. I feel like part of why the Marvel series was so fun for me personally was that we didn't have to do the origin stories because they'd already been established. Yeah. They, were just, they weren't rebooting them. They were adding to them because yeah. they actually did a good job the first time. And so you feel with this book that Lewis has done a good job, not going back too much and it feels right. new and fresh. He, still. he said two, maybe one, maybe two things mm-hmm. where he's like, Hey, you know, this happened. I wrote about in this other book. Here we are. Here's the yeah. information. And then even when they're talking about um, Miraz sending the seven um, friends away of Caspian, mm-hmm. that is re- that's a very small paragraph. Yeah. That's it. You're not, you're not big on exposition usually, right? I, I love the mystery and like finding things out through dialogue. Mm-hmm. 
that seems real. But when sure. people are like, so tell me what's been going on. And they did that here, but he did it so well, you hardly noticed. It's well written, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not anti-exposition at all. I think exposition can be really fun and exciting if it's done well. Yeah. It just so often isn't. And that's why when it's it, a bad When it's rap. done, when it's hitting you over the head with exposition, mm-hmm. that that is difficult, especially in movies. Well, you know, on that same note, this chapter reminds me a lot of chapter eight from Wardrobe. And if you, if you remember, that was the chapter where the beavers and the Pevensies all sit around the table and we just get everything you'd ever want to know about Narnia. Uh, of course, except where things are. I, I still didn't yep. learn that. But it's when Mr. Beaver and Mrs. Beaver just kind of say, oh, and this is the the prophecy and this is who Aslan is. and this." Oh, is, you don't know about the prophecy? Yeah. And and I we liked that. I mean, I, I, I we, sorry. I liked that chapter. I don't know if you I did. I did too. Yeah. yeah. But this is... There's something about the way that both of those two things are written that each one does a very unique thing. So you have the beavers and the Pevensies around a warm uh, table where there's food and you just imagine that, you know, it's cold and snowy outside, but there's some kind of comforting thing that's happening here as we learn about Aslan. So it's the same time that you're learning about the savior of Narnia you're also in a place that feels comfortable. And so that exposition just, it, it feels comforting. I know I'm using that word a lot, but that's the sense I got. Yeah. Whereas the exposition here with Don Treader, we're on the deck of the ship for a lot of this conversation. We're literally mo- moving as it's happening. And instead of being comforted, we're more just excited for what's to come. And so Lewis, as an author, what I'm seeing is he's, he's using the setting of these expositional dumps, if you will, to really appeal to us emotionally and get us dragged in even deeper into the story. Mm. Yeah, well said. So then then the the, the kids, can. I get, what do we call this group of people? Because we can't just say the Pevensies anymore. It's Caspian and then Edmund and Lucy and Eustace. Do we have a name for all of them? It's not really children, is it, either? No. The teens? The, the, youth, really the yeah. youths. How the, is, youths. The youths. The youths. Uh, the uh, our main characters. I don't know. We'll come up with a better name. Maybe someone can email us. What should Our we squad. call it? The squad. The squad. That the doesn't Narnian sound very squad. Narnian to me. Uh, well, these these four characters, I think Drinian eventually shows back up too. They walk around the ship. We see Which where Which doesn't take very long. No. Sounds like it's a small ship. It's a really small ship, and that has always bothered me because I want it to be a large, kind of crazy big ship, and that should be so cool. Yeah. And it bothers me how often Lewis reminds us, like, this is just a tiny little thing. Yeah. And I, again, I think that has a lot to do with, with Caspian's humility. He doesn't seem to necessarily need to show off for people. Uh, he seems like a great king. Um, How fast do you think it can make the castle run? I would say under 12 parsecs, but that's actually a unit of uh, distance, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, What's a knot? <laughs> it's like wind speed, I, th- I yeah. don't know. I think I, I, like going three knots is three miles per hour. Oh, I okay. don't actually know, but I... I feel like it's just another name for miles. Yeah, but I imagine they have a rope and they're letting it go and it like has a knot every so many feet. I, I really hope one of our listeners is a nautical. sailor or have some kind of nautical knowledge because uh, that's that has to be a podcast, right? If someone doesn't have a podcast now about sailing, here's your title. It's called Nautical Knowledge. There you go. There. Uh, just remember to so link to us Yeah, in, yeah. in your first episode. So, you know, that conversation continues. We learn that Caspian and Edmund and Eustace are all going to be kind of at the front of the ship. Eustace gets um, a bunk, but the other two just are going to be in like hammocks, right? Is that what they're staying in? Yeah. 
Um, and he talks about, well, you know, I don't have to do that much work. And so it's fine that I'm here, which is just, like I said, very, very humble of him. I would have been like, you know what? I'm the king. And so I get the biggest room possible. But that's why Aslan didn't make me king. He let Caspian be king. Yeah. First show be last. You know, that that is a really good point. Do you think there is, I hadn't even thought about this yet. Is there any role, I mean, you're quoting Jesus. So should we at all be looking at Caspian as kind of a... Uh, a Christ-like king in the way that he is ruling. I, yeah, yes, but to be to be clear, it's his behavior is Christ-like. He's, yeah, he's yeah. not trying to be like Christ. Well, he's <laughs> not. He's mean. not a character who's meant to be Christ. Yes, that's he just, is a character who is imitating the good things he's learned. Yeah, I, I've never really looked at. Yeah, I've never looked at Caspian that way. I've usually just thought of him as. Um, you know, just, just the king. I've never really made any, uh, the supposal, if you will. I've never made any supposals of him even being uh, someone that we should look to in the way that he leads the same way that, that Christ leads as, as king and stuff. So that we'll have to continue to dive into that more as we, as we read through this. Yeah. So Eustace is still really cranky. He would be such an annoying person to be around, but he's so fun for me to read. I really yes. enjoy it. And Lucy, uh, we've learned, has her gifts from Father Christmas are aboard, and she's able to give him a drop of, uh, what, what, what's it called? Her, uh, her cordial. Her cordial, that's right. Healing potion. And he, feels, two. he feels better. I love, <laughs> I love what Lewis writes that... Um, the beastly part? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you want to read that? He says... Uh, Lucy comes in, says, I brought you something that will make you feel better, Eustace, right after he complains about someone's voice being too loud and for them to be sent away. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, go away and leave me alone, growled Eustace. But he took a drop from her flask, and though he said it was beastly stuff, the smell in the cabin when she opened it was delicious. It is certain that his face came the right color a few minutes after he had swallowed it, and he must have felt better, because instead of wailing about the storm in his head, he began demanding to be put ashore and said that at the first port, he would lodge a disposition against them with all the British council. And then Reeb goes on to ask what that is and hilarity ensues. Yeah. Edmund or not Edmund, sorry. Eustace, his, his, he, Oh, I love the way that he just uses intellect to try always to, uh, you know, make other people feel bad, but he's like only has book smarts and that's it. He doesn't, and even then, like so much of it is fake. He thinks of himself as being such a uh, educated and well, uh, you know, just a smart person in general. And yet he so often is just faking it. And I, I love that about him because he is like, I think he has a pretty good vocabulary. We see that when we, uh, Lewis gives us a little bit of uh, his own, his own diary. And so he's, he seems to be genuinely well read to some extent. And we know his family lives in Cambridge, so we can maybe even make an assumption that uh, maybe they're involved in education in some way, but I feel like Lewis as a writer just keeps taking jabs at, at this idea of like, if you are only book smart, that's not enough. If you only can just recite it for a test or for a quiz or some kind of assessment, that's not, you're not really educated in, 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 in all of the senses that you should be. And he relies too much on the system around him. He's like, he wants to lodge a disposition. Well, you just got pulled out of your world. You don't have you don't have that structure around you anymore. So now you have to rely on your own wits, not yeah. a system that someone else has built for you. Also, I've been in this place before, but to be fair, I was probably around his age mm-hmm. where someone said, Hey, how's it going tonight? And I was like, Oh, it's super boring. It's just kind of, it's like a pride thing where it's mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah. I and mean, this is, this is lame. I'm not having a good time. And yeah. it's, it doesn't make any sense. 
Like, why would he say that it smells like beastly stuff when it smells delicious? Or he said it's beastly stuff when it smells delicious. I, yeah, I think he's just not going to be happy no matter what happens. Yeah, he's just determined to be miserable. Mm-hmm. The only thing I can think of is vanilla smells really good, but when you take a taste of it, it's like that. T- <laughs> I, terrible. No, I think he's just being ridiculous at this point. Yeah. I also, speaking of, of his uh, education too, I love the line that Lewis has just a couple of pages later where we learn about his notebook where he keeps a record of his marks in it. And Lewis writes, and though he didn't care much about any subject for its own sake, he cared a great deal about marks and would even go to people and say, I got so much. What did you get? Yeah. Just how many he got right. Yeah. We, I, I, I just love that a lot. And uh, especially as a, as an educator, I, I find that to be very uh, fun to read. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to read a little bit, Phil, of the text here. As, as Lewis describes the Dawn Treader. It's actually the first time we hear the name of the ship being the Dawn Treader. The name of the ship was Dawn Treader. She was only a little bit of a thing compared with one of our ships, or even the Cogs, Dromads, Carracks, and Galleons. I hope I said all this right. Sea terms are so fun. <laughs> Which Narnia had owned when Lucy and Edmund had reigned there under Peter as the High King. For nearly all navigation had died out in the reigns of Caspian's ancestors. When his uncle, Miraz the Usurper, had sent the seven lords to sea, they had had to buy a Galmian ship and man it with hired Galmian sailors. But now Caspian had begun to teach the Narnians to, to be seafaring folk once more, and the Dawn Treader was the finest ship he had built yet. She was so small that forward of the mast, there was hardly any deck room between the central hatch and the ship's boat on one side, and the hen coop, Lucy fed the hens, on the other. But she was a beauty of her kind, a lady, as sailors say. Her lines perfect, her colors pure, and every spar and rope and pin lovingly made. Eustace, of course, would be pleased with nothing, and kept on boasting about liners and motorboats and aeroplanes and submarines, as if he knew anything about them, muttered Edmund. But the other two were delighted with the Dawn Treader, and when they returned after the cabin and supper, and saw the whole western sky lit up with an immense crimson sunset, and felt the quiver of the ship, and tasted the salt on their lips, and thought of unknown lands on the eastern rim of the world, Lucy felt that she was almost too happy to speak. So good. It's really great. I love the description of the ship from the sailor's perspective. Mm Mm-hmm. They just everyone seems pretty thrilled to be there except Eustace. But he, I, I wonder, does he know that he's having a good time, or is he like has he fully convinced himself that this is bad? Well, I do think that he has some right to be pretty terrified by the situation, and I mean he yeah. did just go to a magic land mm-hmm. uh, through, through a picture. Through a picture, it's, and I mean that that doesn't bother me. It's. And I really do think he is miserable. I don't think he's faking being miserable, but I think he's he has the choice to be miserable. I don't think he's pretending that he hates it, but he secretly loves it. I legitimately think he is despairing at this point. But he that's he's a, coping. Yeah, that's a choice that he's making. Um, I love some of the world building here uh, that that C.S. Lewis does, and then I also just then kind of morphs into this beautiful uh, description of the ship and the sunset. And I, I'm just I'm happy to be on board. I'm loving this. No pun intended. Yeah. Uh, then we're not going to read it because we have um, later on in the book, we'll get more of this, but Eustace keeps a diary. Uh, we learned it is August 7th. And we, we learned a lot about Eustace from, uh, from his writing here. So, Phil, what was one of your takeaways from reading his diary? Um, he said that he was a Republican. Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with the system over there. 
No, that is not a political party. The two biggest parties in... So in that case, what does it mean for him to be a Republican? That's, he doesn't want a king because he, he believes in a Republic. Uh, he people wants a are, Republic. Yeah, that's... Like in Star Wars. Gotcha. <laughs> not in Star Wars, but uh, not like that at least. But yeah, he's... I think the two biggest... Well, maybe one of our, our British listeners could tell us, but I think their two biggest parties there are the Conservative Party and the Labour Party. Okay. Um, so he's not referring to a political party. He's talking about... His the form of government that he prefers. Okay, that was a genuine question. the The thing that stood out to me the most was just the humor of him not writing Caspian, Edmund, or Lucy's names and just referring to them by their letter. By their letter. And I just you can just hear the disdain in his writing. I guess you, here you can just read it and see it. I guess. Do you know what it reminds me of? No. Um, in the office when Ryan and Pam are working for Michael Scott Paper Company. Yeah. And Pam asks him to get off the phone. And he says, I got to go. P's being a B. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hadn't thought of that. It's That's probably, a great... Probably based on this very book. <laughs> you think so? That's what they were thinking of. So then, again, man, this is a really long chapter. After we get a peek into Eustace's mind, we have this last event where he <laughs> picks a fight with the probably the last person that he should pick a fight with on board the Don Treader. Right. Anyone else probably would have let it go, but not Reepicheep. So what happens? So he grabs Reepicheep by the tail, thinks it'd be funny to swing him around. And I just, I don't know if this is in the movie, but I sure hope so. Because <laughs> he's swinging him around and Reepicheep remains calm. And while like, you know, being swung around, yeah. pulls his sword out. And starts attacking him, mm -hmm. which sounds very difficult to do, but also speaks to Reap, Reap's um, just manner and like yeah. how he's able to handle stuff and experience. I I bet he's been swung around before. You think so? Yeah. Who's picking him up? Just other mice. I think the fawns were teasing them or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's uh, I. This is fun, although, and maybe it's because you and I live in the 21st century. Reaper Cheeps. Uh, allegiance to this very chivalrous attitude it just it feels like at some point like okay like when does he figure out you know that, it, that like Eustace doesn't get it it seems yeah. like Reba Cheap keeps trying to hold Eustace to this very high uh, chivalrous standard which isn't wrong but everyone else on board has kind of figured out like yeah Eustace is just the annoying kid and we're going to try to put up with him because he's related to the, the uh, you know King Edmund and Queen Lucy and but Reba Cheap just doesn't necessarily seem to get it or maybe it's just that he is so dedicated to this ideal that he's like I'm not going to let Eustace get off easy yeah and, and I am not saying that as a negative thing towards Reepicheep but he does seem to be the most bothered by Eustace's presence which also makes sense because Eustace isn't picking up other people on board and swinging them around you know right. by their tail yeah so you had this part you wanted to read here that finishes off the chapter I do so I just he, um, Eustace is nursing his hand and he says, if you don't know how to take a joke, then I shan't bother my head about you. You know, just more kind of twisted responses and stuff. And kind of where he's like, I'm going to absolve myself from all blame when he can't really do that. It's yeah. just hilarious. So Reap goes, then take that, said Reepajeep, and that to teach you manners and the respect due to a knight and a mouse and a mouse's tail. And at each word, he gave Eustace a blow with the side of his rapier, which was thin, fine, dwarf tempered steel and as supple and effective as a birch rod. Eustace, of course, was at a school where they didn't have corporal punishment, so the sensation is quite new to him. That was why, in spite of having no sea legs, it took him less than a minute to get off that forecastle and cover the whole length of the deck and burst in at the cabin door, still hotly pursued by Reepicheep. Indeed, it seemed to Eustace that the rapier as well as the pursuit was hot. It might have been red hot by the feel. 
<laughs> I love uh, Lewis's just kind of jab at, you know, Eustace goes to a school that didn't even have corporal punishment. Right. So I, I actually, with both for the first and second chapter, in hearing a little bit about Eustace and his family, Lewis is very much interjecting himself into some of uh, the narration here as, as to letting us know his thoughts on the subject, which is, yeah. which is funny. So Phil, before we wrap up, do you have any last thoughts on this chapter? I have a question for you. Right at the end, Eustace is sure to be careful to lie on his side. Why do you think that was? Well, I think it's because he's, he's the other side's hurt from where he got hit. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought too. I just, I wondered if it was like keeping an eye out or it, does, it just seemed an odd way to end the chapter, but it, that does make sense. No, I, I think it's, it's Lewis letting us in the chapter with this smirk of, you know, Ed, you're Eustace. Goodness, I cannot get their names right. Uh, Eustace getting a little bit of what he deserved and he's, he's going to sleep pretty uncomfortable because he, you know, spun a mouse around by its tail. Right. And so that is where the chapter ends. And next chapter is chapter three, the Lone Islands. And in that chapter, the crew of the Dawn Treader explore the Lone Islands. But before we wrap up here, we do have some listener feedback. So we have an email uh, from Michelle. And uh, I think, Phil, you're going to read that? Yes. A fan from Norway. Hi, Daniel and Phil. I just wanted to say I'm really enjoying yes, your podcast. you said my name first before yours. <laughs> <laughs> I found it a couple of weeks ago and I'm slowly catching up. It's great to have chapter summaries. It makes each episode so accessible, even though it's been two years since I've read them. I'm really glad to hear that part in particular, because I feel like we did that very intentionally so that you didn't have to read the... Yeah, that's true. That's why we did it. Glad we're getting feedback on that. It's great having your podcast on while I have my hands full with our baby boy, who we named Caspian. If only Repetit was an acceptable name for a human child. (laughs) Both my husband and I like the Chronicles of Narnia so much. We both had them read to us as children. I personally like the book Prince Caspian the best. See, a lot of people like the Prince Caspian the best. She didn't say that. That's Phil saying that. No, part. she said that. I personally like the book Prince Caspian best. But she didn't say see a lot of people. I, I don't dislike it. I yeah. just is. I should, true. I should say in quote and quote and in quote. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the other books have characters that annoy me because they have so much to learn. I feel like I am shouting for them not to go into the creepy basement, but they do it anyway. I like Caspian as a character, and I love the mystery slowly unfolding and old Narnia magic in his book plus Repetit. Need I say more? From a Norwegian listener, Michelle. Oh, thank you so much, yeah. Michelle. That's Thanks, cool Michelle. that her son is named Caspian. Yeah, what a I, great name. It would be funny if she was like, yeah, my son named Reepicheep. Uh, if, if only you could name. He's a great character to name someone after, but I don't know how acceptable that is. Maybe yeah. it's more acceptable in Norway, but it sounds like it wasn't. So, right. um, yeah. But thanks so much for reaching Maybe out, Maybe a Michelle. nice pet. Yeah, if any if any of our other listeners did name their kids after other Narnian characters, please write in. I want to hear about your son, Mister Tumnus. <laughs> His first name is Mister. Second name is Tumnus. <laughs> right, serious question for you: If you had four kids, what are the odds that you would name them Peter, Lucy, Susan, and Edmund? None. You would I'd, not do it. I think no, it'd be so I fun. would definitely do uh, John, Paul, George, and Ringo before I did Peter, Susan, Edmund, <laughs> Lucy. <laughs> Love the Rolling Stones. Don't do that. <laughs> So, Phil, that does bring up, though, uh, any of your future children, would you ever name them after a fantasy character? It doesn't have to be Narnia, or a fictional character, just any fictional character. Yeah, I think so. What? Link. You would name a kid Link? Or Ash. I'd probably name it Ash. Ash. Oh, from Pokemon. I was like, I didn't didn't know what that's from. Or Bulbasaur. (laughs) Yeah, so, Phil, uh, before we just keep making uh, promises that we can't keep, do you want to go ahead and wrap the show up? Sure. This episode is made possible by our patrons over at patreon.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can listen to a bonus episode each month along with other rewards. Special thanks goes to Elias Dean for supporting us at the Care Paravel level. 
Follow us and Denarnia on our Twitter or Facebook pages. Do you have any feedback? You can email us at thenarniapodcast at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 406-646-6733. We would appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts as well. That will help other listeners find the show and join our read-through. Also, make sure you have subscribed to the show in your favorite podcast app so you can wake up to new episodes every other Wednesday. Thank you for coming along on this journey. and We'll be back next time with Chapter 3. Make sure you study the right chapter this time. I'm I'm already ready now. That's true. (laughs) All right. Thank you again so much, listeners. We'll see you next time. Bye.